listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. SexPharmD podcast with your host, Dr. Nadia Archambault, licensed clinical pharmacist and certified sex therapist. With a focus on women's sexual health and wellness, Dr. A is here to cover important health topics and answer all of your questions about subjects that can be applied to pharmacy practice. And now, here's Dr. A. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of SexPharmD. Today, I have a really cool opportunity to speak with a physical therapist. I have her on here, Dr. Jennifer Stone. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. (laughs) Thanks. I'm excited too. Yeah. So the reason why I have a physical therapist on here is because in sex therapy and the sex coaching that I do, um, I work with quite a bit of females who have uh, pelvic pain, uh, vaginismus, and things like that. And that's a whole other realm of physical therapy that I never even knew existed until I started collaborating with other physical therapists. Uh, So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at and, and all of that. Sure. Um, So yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a physical therapist and I actually had barely heard of public health physical therapy, even as a physical therapist. Uh, It was really at at the time when I did my entry-level education, it was very much a niche area of physical therapy that very little was known about. We were barely exposed to it. And Um, in our educational process. And in fact, the exposure we did have wasn't actually super accurate as it turns out. Um, And ironically, it was the one area of physical therapy that I declared in school that I was not ever interested in learning anything more about this area. Seems a little weird. I don't know why people would do it. And then just kind of wrote that off. Um, But what I found as I progressed through my career is that I was just naturally drawn to working with people who had low back pain, um, pelvic pain, hip pain, that sort of thing. And so I, I really loved those areas of the body. And I just kind of stumbled my way into also working with a lot of patients who are experiencing pain in those areas during pregnancy. Mm. Um, and then I myself went through my first pregnancy and my first delivery and uh, things went in a rather unusual way that basically left me in need of public health physical therapy myself. And when I found that out from my physician, basically my closest option to where I lived was about two hours away. And the doctor said, you know, can, could you do that once a week? And I was like, um, no, because I'm a full-time working mom with this little baby. It just wasn't feasible. And so truthfully, the first pelvic floor physical therapy class that I went to, I went for very selfish reasons. I went because I was like, well, I can't go to the pelvic health physical therapy. So maybe I can learn enough about it to treat myself. I don't know that I was necessarily planning to offer it as even as a patient care service in that moment. Then I went to my first class and I realized that this was everything that I already loved about treating these regions of the body that I had already been drawn to. 
And it was very much just adding onto that toolbox and just another application of this musculoskeletal approach to pain, muscle dysfunction that I already was very interested in. So I came out of that first training and I'll always say that I was really excited, but also kind of upset because Mm. I had at that point done a lot of very high level training. I'd done residencies, I'd done advanced certifications for, again, this general vicinity of the body and didn't even know the anatomy of the muscles involved. And so that sort of lit a fire, so to speak, where I became very passionate about not just treating patients, but also expanding this idea of what pelvic health physical therapy is and occupational therapy now too. Um, And really opening the eyes of others within my own profession and the rehab profession, that it is actually not this little niche branch of physical therapy that should be considered as this sort of totally separate entity. But really what it is, is it's an expansion of a musculoskeletal toolbox. And some people will not want to do the whole thing, meaning internal treatment, internal assessment, and that's fine, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they should know nothing about it because there's actually quite a lot you can do regardless of whether you have that internal skill set or not. And so now I actually direct a, um, a program that teaches other rehab professionals how to add both the internal and external aspects, depending on where they're wanting to go with their own career to their patient care toolbox. Um, We have a study that has come out recently that said that 95% of people who are assigned female at birth who have low back pain also have at least one symptom that is consistent with pelvic floor dysfunction. Wow. Yeah, 95%. So what I always tell people is you're already treating patients who have pelvic floor dysfunction. You may not know it and they may not realize that there's a connection there. Um, But it's, it's something that I feel very strongly should be a considered component in the treatment of certainly the patients you mentioned, people who have sexual dysfunction and incontinence and all of those, but also in the care of patients who have what we used to think of as just purely orthopedic complaints of low back pain, hip pain, and pelvic girdle pain. I mean, there's, it's just, it blows my mind that it's just not something that most people don't know that physical therapists can, can do these things, you know, and can help yeah. our female patients with that. And again, like I, it was never, I never knew it was a thing either until I had my first patient, you know, years ago who was using a pelvic dilator and she was, you know, working with her physical therapist. She had vaginismus. Uh, so it was just, you know, it was really cool. I got to, you know, talk with the physical therapist and learn more about what she was doing. And I was like, wow, this is a whole, this is a whole other branch of medicine that I didn't even know existed. And I think it's amazing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a really neat way to be involved with people and and help truly address the underlying causes of a lot of challenges that are, you know, very personal, very much impact people's mm-hmm. lives, you know? going to the bathroom is something that most of us do multiple times a day. Right. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really neat to be able to actually offer a fix as opposed to just saying, well, you know, I mean, what I used to hear all the time when I first started doing this, I don't hear it as often now, sometimes still, but not as often, thankfully, but this whole idea of, well, it's because you're female, you just got to deal with it or, mm-hmm. well, it's right. because you had four kids and you know, the, the fact that we've just kind of shrugged it off and said, just deal with it 
and people have because that's what their healthcare provider told them is is just really sad. And so I'm excited that it's becoming, I think, more common knowledge that, no, you actually don't usually have to put up with most of these things. You know, you're so right about that. That drives me crazy too, when especially like with women, when they talk to them about menopause, well, this has just happened. You just have to deal with it. Like your yeah. life is over. Like, okay. No, we should, shouldn't have to. That's not, a, that's not an answer. It's not. It really yeah. isn't. And there's almost yeah. always improvements to be made. I mean, sure. Could there be a situation where, you know, the toll of life upon your body means that we hit a plateau point that's different than what it might've been in your teens sometimes, but that's not as common mm-hmm. as people think it is. It's actually more common that we can get either a complete solve or a very, very close to that. So, right. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, I want to also commend you. This is pretty cool. When I was reading, you know, about your, your work and your education is that you did, um, you completed the orthopedic residency through evidence in motion. Um, <laughs> You know, that's so cool. Did now did they um did they go through that anything with pelvic floor issues during that time? They did not at that time. Now the residency does include um somewhat at my behest, um, but it does include some information about pelvic floor um just cueing and ways to integrate some knowledge or some screening into your care of patients with orthopedic issues. Um, again, I did the residency, I'm going to age myself. It was probably 12 to 15 years ago. And so, yeah. And so again, at that time, it, we didn't know nearly as much about the pelvic floor as we do now. And it was very much considered to be sort of this like separate entity. And we are not going to cross, um, we're not going to cross those lines, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. <laughs> um, now, as far as for some of our listeners that don't know, I know that they they might, you know, they know what pelvic floor pain is and, and pain in general, but vaginismus, that's something that I've dealt with, with female patients. And a lot of it's mental. Also, it's like mm-hmm. mental, emotional affecting it. Um, take us through a little bit, just describe to our listeners what vaginismus is and how you help those patients if you can. Sure. Yeah. So vaginismus is considered to be a subtype of pelvic pain and sometimes considered part of chronic pelvic pain. But what vaginismus is specifically is it's a reactive tightening or closing of the pelvic floor muscles upon the attempt of something being inserted. So that could be a tampon. It could be a speculum during a medical exam. It could be um, it could be something that is being inserted during sexual function. There's a lot of possibilities there. Mm -hmm. Um, But for it to truly be vaginismus, it's that reactive tightening. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the pelvic floor is tight all the time. It could. Sometimes there's sort of this coexisting baseline tensioning as well, but it's specifically with response to something trying to go in. Um, Mm -hmm. It is considered to be, and, and as you said, there is definitely this sort of psychosocial full body assessment and treatment that's needed because some of it is very much what we would think of as purely physical, the nerves fire, the muscles tension down. Um, But some of it is due to oversensitization of the nervous system itself, in fact. Mm. And so basically what I will tell patients is 
for whatever reason. And we can't, sometimes we can trace it down to a source. Sometimes we can, other times we can't, and it's okay. It doesn't change treatment, whether we can say this is what caused this or not. I always tell people it's interesting from an academic standpoint, but at the end of the day, we're going to treat it the same either way. So what has happened is that for whatever reason, the nervous system in that area has started interpreting any input as potentially threatening. And so it's then causing the muscles and everything around that area to tighten down as a response to prevent injury. And so that means that it could be, you know, normally what our nervous system does is it discriminates that kind, those kinds of touch Mm -hmm. for us. It says that's cool. That's warm. That's light touch. That's deep pressure. That hurts. Um, Mm -hmm. with hurt being, this is dangerous, so we should do something about it. And what will happen is those signals will get crossed. And then all of a sudden, every input to that area starts being interpreted as this is possibly threatening. Let's generate that pain response. Let's guard with everything to prevent possible future injury. And so a lot of the treatment for vaginismus is really in helping the nervous system be able to differentiate those different types of signals again. This Mm. is light touch. This is cold. This is warm. This is gentle pressure. This is whatever the case may be, because if we can help the body realize that all of these touches are not necessarily dangerous, then it will stop sending that pain signal and it will stop doing that guarding response. And often there's a combination of techniques that are needed, everything from mindfulness-based stress reduction type um, type training to soft tissue mobilization performed by the physical therapist, potentially also performed by the patient and or a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, dilator therapy can be very useful. Um, and often we will also encourage people to consider utilizing either a topical medication or sometimes a systemic one with a goal of helping down regulate that nervous system just a little bit so that we can make some faster progress. And usually the pharmaceutical aid is only needed for a relatively short period of time, but it can help get us over that initial hump because regardless of whether the signal is coming from an oversensitized nervous system or an actual injury, the, the what people feel from it is very real and very intense at times. Yeah. I mean, I've had some patients that they can't even go for their to the gynecologist for their annual exam. It's terrible. Yeah. That's actually a very common reason for us to see patients is maybe they, maybe they went for their first time. Maybe they went for their first time after having a baby or postmenopausal or whatever. And obviously that can be quite dangerous from a medical perspective that people need to be able to have those screening exams. And so it's, yeah, it's not uncommon for us to get a patient with the stated purpose of, Hey, we need to get to the point where we can actually tolerate doing a pap smear or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I mean, for health reasons, for sure, they need to be able to do that. Yeah. And then I know that um, for some patients I've had, I've referred them out if it's like something more psychological, if they've had sexual trauma, things like that. Is that involved? There's so many just moving parts to that. But I think that's so amazing that physical therapists work with patients and, and do that. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's great. I think it needs to, more people need to be aware of that, especially people who ex- experience vaginismus or pelvic floor pain, uh, you know, knowing that they can actually do that and seek out help from a physical therapist is, is pretty great. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And there's often our contributions that are coming from outside of the pelvic floor too. So it's quite common for my patients with vaginismus to have abdominal restrictions. Maybe they had mm-hmm. surgery, maybe they had an injury, maybe they have IBS and from chronic inflammation and mm-hmm. irritation or endometriosis, they've developed these adhesion patterns that aren't allowing their abdomen to move well. Um, sometimes they have spine mobility restrictions or hips. And so the cool thing is that public health physical therapists are able to assess all of those areas and address whatever may be contributing because it's often more than just those muscles and just those nerves. Something set them off. And again, sometimes it is, you know, from a one-time event like a trauma, but more commonly Mm -hmm. it's sort of this cumulative effect of all these different areas are not functioning quite perfectly. And all of that is adding up to be this perfect storm. Yeah. Exactly. It's like it can be a combination of so many things. Now, women who have endometriosis, is that is that do they come in with pelvic floor pain or what does that look like usually for a treatment plan? It depends. They can come in with pelvic floor pain. They often come in with abdominal pain. Okay. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. A lot of abdominal pain. Now, of course, if we have abdominal pain, we need to rule out insidious causes first, right? So Mm -hmm. we need to make sure there's not something medically that's happening in the actual organs that is driving it. But if we've ruled out those options, a lot of abdominal pain is actually musculoskeletal. Not a lot of people realize that. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, they, they can come in with abdominal pain. Um, they will often come in with constipation. That is a very common side effect of endometriosis. Um, and so what I will always tell patients is PT isn't going to treat the endo in the sense that we're not going to get rid of the fact that you have endometriosis. But what we can help with is a lot of those side effects of having endo. So we can help with the pain. We can help with um, blood flow. A lot of times we can help people not have quite so much bleeding during their cycles. And we can definitely help with things like constipation or urinary incontinence, or sometimes difficulty initiating urination. Cause a lot of that does come from that chronic inflammation from those scarring patterns. And that is something that we can help address. Interesting. That's that's good to know. And I'm and I'm sure there are listeners out there that may even be experiencing that and need to get help or have patients that, you know, that need it also. For sure. Yeah. Now I, you know, I again, like I was looking at all of your, you know, your achievements and everything like that. As far as um what now what exactly is evidence in motion is that an institute um that you're involved with also i know you did your residency through them um just for anyone that's listening that's curious yeah evidence in motion is we call ourselves an institute of health professions basically we have two branches i work on the post professional side but we also support entry level education um but the post professional side really focuses on helping people go from whatever their entry level education is. So we serve physical therapists, occupational therapists. Some of our programs are also open to pharmacists, nurse practitioners, and physicians, mm-hmm. um, as well as physicians assistants. But basically, we try to help people go from, okay, here's my entry-level education. Now I'd like to specialize in this area of rehab or in this area of whatever. We've got, again, multiple different tracks that people could go down and different ones are open to different types of professions, just depending on, you know, does it apply? Is it relevant to that profession? Um, And so I run the public health branch 
not, not surprisingly, but I also am faculty <laughs> within the musculoskeletal branch and the pain science branch. Wow. You're busy. Yes. <laughs> I love That's it though. Impressive. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not work if you love it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now for someone that is either in physical therapy school or they become a physical therapist, they can go, they can go through this program if they want to do more pelvic health specialty and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So our programs and certifications are typically a collection of courses with the intent that by the time you do all of this coursework, you're going to come out as an autonomous practitioner. Now, I always tell people, you know, if if you don't want to be a lifelong learner, probably shouldn't go into pelvic health because it's a mm. somewhat newer subspecialty of rehab, meaning there's a lot of research that's coming out all the time. Excuse me. And so we're not saying these are all of the pelvic health courses you will ever need to take, but this gives you a solid foundation where you can really start treating patients, caring for people in a meaningful way. And then we, of course, encourage people to continue that learning process as they go, as all of us really should. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to continue to learn you know, keep up to date with everything for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so pelvic health is open to physical therapists, occupational therapists, PTAs, OTAs, and then we've had a couple of nurse practitioners come through as well. Oh, interesting. That's really, yeah. that's really good too. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Now for our pharmacy listeners, what are some what are some tips that you would, as far as like when they have patients that are saying they're getting pelvic floor pain or endometriosis, what are some things that you would recommend they, they you know, questions they ask or ta- things they talk to them about? Yeah, I mean, obviously my the glasses that I wear, if you will, are going to be very rehab skewed because that's the world I live in. That's yeah. what I know. Um, but I certainly think it is worth at least having a consult with a pelvic health provider. And again, that could be a physical therapist or an occupational therapist. Um, just to see, you know, what what are the musculoskeletal contributing factors? Because again, it's not necessarily all musculoskeletal, um, but that can be a really great adjunct, if you will, to whatever mm-hmm. other treatment they're getting, be that injections or other pharmaceuticals or even surgery. And certainly mm-hmm. I always encourage people, if you're considering surgery, I would recommend a consult first because most of the surgical procedures we have for the pelvic and abdominal regions, the outcomes are actually better if you do PT as a prehab, if you will, mm. or you, you do that prior to undergoing the surgical procedure. And sometimes people can avoid the need for the more invasive surgical procedure, but even if not, again, their outcomes are going to be better. So it seems like there's not really... Um, there's not really much to lose there and other than maybe some time and, and your co-pays, of course, but right. there is definitely a possibility of avoiding the need for that more invasive intervention. Um, and that being said, you know, I, I really like to work closely with pharmacists as well, because there are a lot of medications mm-hmm. that can be helpful for my patients and, you know, rehab professionals are not significantly trained in pharmaceuticals because we don't prescribe them. And so while we have some awareness, and of course we see patterns as far as what tends to be prescribed, 
most often we are doing, we're encouraging people to look into options, but we're doing that very collaboratively, either with mm-hmm. our, um, you know, with our physician colleagues, or even better, if we can find a, a pharmacist that we're able to ask questions, say, here's the list of symptoms, here's what they have or haven't responded to in the past, what suggestions would you offer? So I think that can be just a really beautiful partnership, or that's been my experience. Yeah. Anyway. Absolutely. And, you know, and then it's unfortunate you have patients that are like addicted to pain medications because of pain that they're in, you know? Yeah. And what I've seen most commonly is that that starts out very well intentioned by everybody, right? Of course, we want to help people who are hurting. Um, And sometimes that's the tool that is available in the provider's toolbox. And they don't realize that, you know, for a lot of types of pelvic pain, we're probably actually better off with a membrane stabilizer versus an opiate, those sorts of things. Mm. Um, But what I've found is that many physicians, and this is not a knock on physicians, by the way, um, but a lot of times they don't have very specialized training particular to the pelvic floor. Even OBGYNs, unless they happened to go to a school or a residency where they had what's called a vulvar pain clinic, which is really rare. There's only, Mm. I think, 17 of those throughout the whole entire United States, 17 residencies that have that. So it's unlikely is what I'm saying. They just didn't have the opportunity to really learn about the muscles and any of these sort of components, which that really surprised me when I started doing public health PT, because I just assumed, oh, the OBGYNs are going to know they work in this area, but most of them don't. And a lot of them actually would rely on myself and the other public health therapists, even for things like medication recommendations, which again is where I started seeking out pharmacy colleagues. I was like, I have no idea, my friend. (laughs) This is not my area of expertise. Um, But yeah, so I think there's a lot of a lot of need and a lot of opportunity for inputs from other professions just because current state of medical education is that it's not an area that very many specialties know very much about. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as pharmacists, we'll, we'll collaborate or we'll have doctors that we can recommend to patients or clinics and things like that. But I think it's really important to maybe know a network of physical therapists also um, that are working with patients with, you know, all types of different things, but especially with the pelvic floor issues and things like that, because it's not something that we usually even know about. So I think Mm -hmm. that's important and they can collaborate with them also, which is, which would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that the work that you all do and the work we do mirror, well, no, they don't mirror each other. Sorry. They, they really complement each other very well because you do the part that we truthfully just that's not our area of expertise and the same in reverse and I'll tell you I never sent so many patients for some sort of pharmaceutical assist until I started doing pelvic floor PT because a lot of times in the in other areas of the musculoskeletal world that's quite handled with the physician or they just don't need it Um, Mm -hmm. but there's so much need in this subspecialty for things like bioidentical hormones and alternative options for muscle relaxation or addressing pain and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And it's one of those where it's like, yeah, probably a lot of these solves are only needed in the short term, but still, why should patients have to have to suffer when there is that opportunity for 
an assist that can help get them to where they're or help move them in the right direction more quickly. So yeah, I always encourage yeah. my students that, you know, if a, ideally a good pharmacist is a great person to have in your village of healthcare providers Aww. that you refer people to. Well, I appreciate that. That's nice. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's great that we all can collaborate and respect each other as professionals. It's so important, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, as far as any conferences, I think there was, I saw one coming up, is it in Louisville? Uh huh. Yep. There's the Align Conference that's coming up in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, that's actually a really cool conference. It's multidisciplinary, and what they do is they bring together um, a lot of different professions to talk about healthcare topics. So um, typically, mm. there's a theme to the conference, and everybody will come together to talk about, hey, what does the future of healthcare look like in this area? They'll have panel presentations, and they also have a lot of lab courses where people get to practice skills. So. Great. Are you speaking at that one or? I'm not because I'm about to have a baby. Baby may come oh. right around the time when the conference runs. And oh I didn't think goodness. we needed that kind of excitement this year. Oh, congrats. I That's did amazing. last year though. And it was a really fun conference. Oh, good. Any, well, you're going to be busy with a baby then for yes. <laughs> conferences. Yeah. Any, any other conferences coming up? Um, so we have the Elevate Public Health Symposium in January. That's the other. Yep. So we run two conferences a year, the in-person okay. online and then the Elevate, which we, we've we actually purposely kept the Elevate Public Health Symposium online because we got a lot of feedback from people that it was nice to have that more accessible option that didn't require the expense and time away from family of travel. Uh, but I'm really That's excited great. about that one. The, uh, that one is really more geared towards public health practitioners. And what we, again, try to do is bring some professionals who have specialty expertise in their areas of study to do a deep dive into a topic area. So I'm really excited about the topics we have this year. Um, I've been, it, it's a little selfish. I, I jokingly say, well, I put together the conference that I want to attend <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I'm interested great. in. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it's it's really fun because it's very fast paced. Um, we're able to record it too. So the nice part is there is a live, um, sort of a live Zoom, if you will, of the actual sessions as they happen. But also if people are not available for the whole day or even at all, they can watch the recordings for up to six months afterwards. So yeah, I love that. I'm excited yeah. to just, you know, to do a presentation too. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. We're super excited to have you. We've got, this is actually the first time we've had a pharmacist at this. Oh, all conference. right. So, yeah. I'm really excited. <laughs> That's great. Um, so I always like to ask this, you know, as far as if you have the top three, I say, so what would be top three tips you give to, you can either do patients or practitioners as far as the, the patients that you're treating? I would say the first one is just knowing that you're not alone because mm -hmm. a lot of times public health concerns are feel very isolating. And that's because in the culture that we live in, we don't tend to chat with other people about things like how how is toileting going for you mm. um, or, you know, how's that pain that you've been having with your sexual function? That's not just a conversation that you have around the water cooler at work. And so it's very easy for people to feel like these very essential functions of my body are not working properly and I'm the only one. And in fact, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are dealing with this and it's treatable. 
That's the key. Yeah. Is there's yes. hope here. You don't have to just put up with it. The second one may sound a little contradictory, but the second one is just because something is common doesn't mean it's normal and it doesn't mean we have to accept it. Um, and and people should push for answers. You know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it is still very common for me to have someone come to see me who has been seeking answers sometimes for years or decades, and they've bounced around to different kinds of professionals and just not really gotten those answers. Um, so, you know, keep, keep seeking out those answers. If the treatment approach that you're doing isn't working, I mean, give it some time because as most things with the human body, it's unfortunately, there's not a light switch that we can flip, but if you've been doing an approach for four to six weeks and you're seeing no improvements, ask more questions, try a Mm -hmm. second opinion, see another type of healthcare provider. Um, and then the third one, again, I would say really is there is hope these these issues are all very treatable. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. it does take a bit of experimentation to figure out the perfect approach for a given individual. But again, it's not something that people just have to accept as well for the rest of my life. I'm wearing depends or for the rest of my life, I'm not mm. going to be able to tolerate using tampons or whatever the case may be. I love that. That is so great. Those are great tips. Yeah, for sure. And you're not alone. There's so many women that have to go through this. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not because you had kids and it's not because you happened to be born with a certain set of genitalia. We don't always know why these things happen, but they happen across the age span. They also happen, by the way, in people who are assigned male at birth. It's actually quite common for them to have pelvic floor dysfunction as well. It's less common for them to seek out help. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, In fact, a lot of things that people don't even realize are related to the pelvic floor, like erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Um, There's actually stronger evidence for a physical therapy intervention for that than there is for the utilization of things like Cialis and Viagra. And we know how well those work. So imagine how <laughs> how well yeah. it actually works to address the blood. It's a b- blood flow issue primarily. Yeah. So to address those restrictions that are causing issues with the blood flow. Um, but yeah, so a lot of people think, oh, it's it's all people who've had babies or it's all people who are postmenopausal. Youngest patient I've treated was four years old. Oldest one was Aww. almost 100. Um, and again, it affects both genders, it affects people whether or not they've had a baby at all levels of hormones. So there certainly are some risk factors that may make it more likely throughout the lifespan, but it's, it's certainly, I think there still is not an understanding of quite how common these issues can be. Yeah. And and also to remember, it can affect males too. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been great having you on. How can our listeners find you social media website I'm very bad at social media (laughs) (laughs) Um, I certainly welcome anyone to reach out to me if they have questions or just want to brain I love brainstorming patient cases with other providers so um, my email is jstone at eimpt.com I'm obviously going to have a period upcoming where I won't be checking that regularly right Um, but but yeah, I'd, I would definitely love to interface with people. And then I'm always up for doing things like this, chatting with people, spreading the word. Um, I love teaching. I love speaking. And so I'm always open to consideration for conferences and so- 
that sort of thing as well. That's great. And you're very good at it. You're very good at speaking. This has been oh, real great <laughs> listening. <laughs> very interesting stuff. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's yeah. easy when it's something that you're excited and passionate about and, and you find it fun. So Exactly. And I'll put all the the web, your website info, evidenceinmotion.com and your, your info in the show notes also for people Perfect. to get in touch with you. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Stone. I wish you a lot of luck with the baby and I'll be talking with you soon anyway. So. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me this morning.